Welcome to Season 4 of OME Talks. I'm your host, David Petro. Welcome back if you've been here before, and if you are new to us, let me tell you what OME Talks is. As you know, the Ontario Association for Mathematics Education hosts its annual conference every spring. What we try to do here at OME Talks is give highlights of some of those sessions that occurred during the most recent conference. This season, we'll be highlighting sessions from last spring's OME 2021 virtual conference. OME members get exclusive access to these repeated sessions as webinars on the second Wednesday of each month. The podcast comes out on the first of each month and gives everyone a preview of each of the upcoming webinars. And besides the standard OME Talks episodes this year, we are going to be having some podcasts dedicated explicitly to coding and math class as companions to a new column in the OME Gazette. Expect the first episode of that series out later this September. That being said, let's get to our OME Talks sessions. This year, we've got webinars on coding and math, using portfolios, integers, assessment, and connecting play to spatial reasoning. And this month, Jason Toe will be talking about de-streaming math, equity, practice, and politics. And since that topic is so crucial, as we start to de-stream our grade 9 math class, that webinar will be available to anyone, not just OME members. So let's get to it and get a preview from Jason Toe himself to kick off this season. Okay, hello and welcome. Uh, I'm here with Jason Toe. Jason, how are you doing tonight? I'm okay. How are you? Good. Uh, Jason, I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and you know how you got into your mathematical place right now. Sure. So I am currently the coordinator of secondary math and academic pathways with the Toronto District School Board. So my main roles are to support high school math teachers, help set up systems and structures in place to uh, put them in the best positions possible to get them to make meaningful learning opportunities for students. And then also on the other side of the coin, I work to support the system with identifying and disrupting and dismantling structures that are inequitable and are not really servicing all students effectively, mainly streaming structures in secondary schools as well as in elementary schools. So, uh, but prior to that, I was a high school math teacher in the northwest of Toronto, became a department head. And um, after some professional learning that I was privileged to take part in, I and uh, led my department to be the first in the Toronto District School Board to essentially remove streaming intentionally in mathematics. Uh, so all the work that I've been doing to support uh, not just Toronto, but uh, again, uh, being able to reach a province-wide audience uh, at times. It's been uh, based in the practice that I've had in the classroom, as well as the theory that's been happening in terms of the research of inclusion and de-streaming and de-tracking across North America. So uh, this, this idea of removing streaming in mathematics is a big part of why I do what I do. And uh, the work continues. And it's really an exciting and pivotal time right now. Oh, excellent. Excellent. And, you know, as you know, this is the OME Talks podcast. And so I'm always curious uh, how our guests first heard of OME or first got involved with OME. I know, you know, you speak at the conferences, but, but you know, when you first uh, you heard of OME or got involved, uh, can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, I've always been looking to learn and 
you know, there's there's always this community that I began uh, on on Twitter and and learning about what other people are doing across the province and beyond, and and then to be able to take part in professional learning, very specifically about math with people that are just as passionate about it as I am, if not more so, and sharing their practice and 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 giving great ideas. That's what really drew me to the provincial OEME, and then in my role as a as a system lead to take. Uh, a role in my local chapter uh, in teams uh, and to play a supporting role there. And our, you know, our last conference, I was helping out with the volunteers along with Sam Garrison, who really took the lead on that one. And uh, so it's been, it's been really great. Um, OEME is such a great community, very forward thinking. And I I think there's a, a growth that we're seeing very, very, uh, broadly around equity and anti-oppression in math. And so I'm really excited that OEME is really moving into that direction, um, you know, really, you know, head first. And it's, uh, it's an exciting time. And yeah, yeah, definitely being part of an organizing committee for a conference uh, is a one way to get your feet wet, as it were. So uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure you were, you were quite relieved when this year's conference was over. Yes, I was, you know, but it was, it was such a, a well-coordinated group and a lot of really passionate people put in a lot of time and effort. Um, so, you know, shout out to, you know, all of the team's members who put on a really, really, what I think was a really smooth conference, uh, especially, you know, really our first time really like a, like a, a thoughtful organized virtual conference. I know the year before it was sort of, it was, uh, it was like a, Oh, let's just, let's do something, you know? And I think you were part of that too. And that went really well. And so to really broaden that and learn from the year before to, uh, come up with a conference, uh, this year was, um, a lot of, a lot of effort from a lot of, uh, really dedicated people. So yeah, really, really excited, really glad that, um, it went as well as it did. Okay, so this year you are our first guest at OMA Talks this season. This is our fourth season, and you, I, I, I don't know if I, I'm stepping out of line to say this, but you, you are really like a go-to guy for de-streaming in math. And um, you know, you, you, as you said, you were one of the, I, I, the the first in your school board, and perhaps in the in the province to really uh, tackle de-streaming. Uh, you know, before we talk about your what you're going to speak about at our our uh, webinar, I wonder if you could just tell me a little bit about that those first couple of try kicks at the can of de-streaming uh, when you were first starting out at uh, at your school board. Yeah, so we were lucky to learn some lessons from folks at Limestone District School Board that uh, they decided to take a look at de-streaming or, or going academic in, in math only. And so again, you know, learning from our equity team in the board, as well as folks that have been already doing uh, this work in Limestone, as well as in, in New York state, learning about what the mindset needs to be and, and the things that we, you know, we put, we put barriers up for ourselves when we're, trying in, you know, in, in meaning, you know, I guess in, in ways that we think are helpful, but really end up being a detriment to what we're trying to do. So in the first year that we tried this, it was, it was an interesting year because that was a strike year. So come November, there was no staff meetings, no professional learning, really no nothing. Um, we were a pilot essentially in our, in, in our board. And so we didn't really have a lot of central support. It was just, 
you know, I, I always joke around that we MacGyvered the whole thing that year because we essentially were just left to our devices. But w- w- why it's really important to learn about de-streaming and, and really about uh, believing in students was that that's that was, I would say, like 90% of it. It was knowing that it's up to me as the teacher to differentiate for a wide range of students' readiness. And, you know, I'm not going to say that it was perfect all the time. There were lots of mistakes that I made and I learned from them and you move on. But it was a lot of really just believing in students and and not putting a ceiling on their potential. So I worked with um, predominantly students with special education designations, formal or informal. And so I had I had um, a couple uh, sections of uh, students that were essentially modified in terms of their curriculum expectations coming into grade nine. So, you know, these are students that probably hadn't seen grade seven or grade eight math, like, you know, let alone had the chance to do well, like they just straight up didn't see it. But yet when we decided that, you know, we were going to teach high level mathematics for all and um, fill in the, the pieces that need to be f- uh, filled in, that uh, they were rising to the occasion. You know, it's not that students, when they're struggling, it's it's not that they don't know how to do it. It's they've never been given the chance to do it in, in a way that's been thoughtful and meaningful. So when I saw how well students were doing, when, you know, in a situation that they otherwise, if we didn't intentionally de-stream, would have been put into an, an applied class and maybe not be uh, given that high expectation that is typically given to like an academic class, for instance, you know, like just to, just to see the the growth um, and the and the belief in a lot of these students that they were like, oh, I'm learning and like I'm getting it. It was really a game changer for me. So from there, you know, then being able to help kind of spread the word a little bit as a as a math coach uh, really, uh, I guess, helped this movement uh, towards this idea that we can include more and more people than we, you know, initially thought. So it's been, uh, that was a, it was a growth year, but being, having a chance to do it again and again, um, for, um, a couple semesters was really helpful for me to learn. And I think when people are, are trying this now and, you know, in likely their first year or two to expect that it's not going to go perfect, then that's okay. And that we should be taking a learning stance, just like how we would expect t- uh, students to. Now, uh, how soon after you uh, did your pilot in your school, did your board adopt Dean Streaming overall? So when uh, after the first year, I became uh, a math coach and we had uh, professional learning kind of go out uh, to more and more schools. So in my stage of professional learning, like we had a pilot of about four high schools and then it kind of grew to about 16 to 17 that were learning and taking part. And then after that, I guess it was about a year, maybe two, our, our director at the time, John Malloy, decided this is the way that we're going to go because it's, it's uh, clear from the data that there are different outcomes for, for particular groups of students, like namely black students, that are caused by these streaming structures in not just math, but in all of our subjects. And from there, there was a, a, a three-year phase-in approach to uh, bringing academic-only programming. So we weren't waiting for the ministry to de-stream. We, we recognized as a board that this was something that needed to be done if we truly believed in, in equity uh, for our students. So it was relatively quick, I would say, 
um, from this initial pilot stage to a, a declaration over three years that we would move to academic only. And so September will be this first year that we're going to go academic only for all of our subjects in grade nine or de-streamed in math. So is is there a difference between academic, academic only and de-streaming? So, um, I mean, the, the nomenclature that we adopt is academic only because it's not, you know, because the streams do exist, right? Like academic and applied streams exist, but we are just intentionally, you know, just chopping off the applied uh, branch of this, uh, of this stream. And uh, really, the ministry is the only body that can de-stream because now, you know, with this math curriculum that there is no academic, there is no applied, there's just this one class. So, you know, but, but really when we, um, you know, when we say academic only, there is still this option of applied and it's still in the books and it still can exist and it still uh, could be used or abused in ways that, you know, we may not think about initially. So I think it's really important that official de-streaming happens and that, you know, high expectations are built into the course, as well as other facets that are important for inclusion to happen in a classroom. Now, we're recording this in the summer here, and by the time this airs, we will be about a week or so away from the beginning of the year. I'm wondering if you could give us a, a sort of a brief outline of what you're going to be talking about in the webinar that you'll be doing in mid-September for us. Yeah, so it, it, I tell a little bit about my own story, similar to what I just did, you know, starting as a uh, an educator that was streaming students as early, you know, as, as soon as the week before I was taking part in professional learning and really going over the rationale and the data, not just quantitative, but qualitative data around why it's so important that we remove streams from our, um, from our education system, you know, seeing that there's lower levels of achievement in our lower streams, which is unfortunate because we are thinking that when we provide a different option that they should be having just as well of, of outcomes. And we're just seeing that that's just not the case as well as, you know, debunking some of these ideas. Like when you go into an applied class, when you get a good grade, that sounds good, but it doesn't actually translate into future success. And, and also looking at, you know, we want students to go into post-secondary university or college having the highest levels of math possible because we know that from from data that students are best set up when they're taking university preparation math even if they want to go into uh, college so you know trying to dispel some of these ideas that we try to hang on to about justifying why applied programming is important and then you know we move to a framework around looking at equity in mathematics uh, through Rochelle Gutierrez and some of um, her work, and then really looking at the you know three, uh, what I think are the three main pillars of successful de-streamed classrooms is differentiating your instruction, universal design for learning, and culturally responsive pedagogy, and then providing some really concrete examples because it, it you know they can be really. Uh, really big in terms of like really extravagant kinds of lessons, but it can be really simple pivots, um, like incorporating computer algebra systems, for instance, or just reorganizing how you teach your class, like spiraling or or adopting the thinking classroom, which I think uh, many educators uh, across Ontario have been already doing, and it's just really putting an equity lens into some of that uh, work, and then and then thinking about assessment as well, and then the last thing is about politics because politics 
pervade anything that that deals with equity and 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 um, ensuring outcomes for students that have historically not been succeeding. And so identifying some of those barriers, uh, which call the three P's, um, and then thinking about ways to to tackle them. Because um, when we're de-streaming, it's, it's just as much about disrupting possible resistance um, and, and being able to stand your ground uh, when, when you're doing this kind of work. You mentioned the three P's. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, so this uh, the the three P's come from uh, Carol Burris's work um, when she was de-streaming her school board in New York, and so one of them is is prejudice. So having these ideas of ability being something that's fixed and having links uh, and deficit thinking of particular groups of students, uh, racialized students not being good at math, for instance. Uh, There's also this idea of prestige, right, that there's teacher prestige about uh, having a, a, a teaching in a a higher stream, uh, as well as parent prestige about having their their child in like a gifted program or or an enriched program, and it's okay to be proud of yourself and proud of your student, uh, proud of your child. But we we don't want that to you know hijack our our system. And then the last one is power as well. So you know teachers being able to make decisions for students and and parents in different communities have different different levels of power uh, and influence in what happens in a school. So identifying what those are and then being able to mitigate some of those uh, forces is really important to kind of keep, keep, the, keep the work going forward. So uh, as we do this webinar, we'll be uh, like a week or so into school. Uh, what do you think uh, are some takeaways you hope teachers will get uh, if they attend our webinar? I hope that they see how important it is, the work that we're doing, because this isn't just looking at grade nine math, that this is something that's just so much bigger than what that is. And having students in a de-streamed math class, um, as opposed to particularly, you know, black students disproportionately being put into an applied program, like these are, these are potential life-altering moves. And so this is this is something that we really don't want to take lightly. It's something that we just kind of be like, oh, this is just the flavor of the month. We're going to ride it out. That we know that, you know, grade nine, just like any any kind of year in a student's uh, life can, can really either set them up for future success or can really start a path where we really don't want students to go. So I know that this this course is new and there's going to be bumps and bruises along the way on our end in trying to do this in a way that we feel comfortable in and we're not going to be comfortable for a while. And I hope people are going to be all right with that and forgive themselves and, and, and allow a little bit of, of breathing room for them as they take, you know, take this new course and, and a new kind of learning environment all in stride. Um, so I, I, I just want to provide people with the information that I think that they need, um, and the moral imperative to drive it, you know, when things don't quite go as well as you want. Cause I know when I was trying this out back in the classroom, you know, five, six years ago that, you know, when things aren't going well and, and it's, and it's tough and you're, you know, sometimes you're like, boy, this would just be a whole lot easier if I kind of did things the way it was, but, but knowing the, the, the status quo and the data and the trajectories that come from, you know, lower outcomes and and putting students into different um, levels of math, 
um, and how damaging that can be for students. You know, that's that that kept me going. And I hope that when people watch the webinar that they get that feeling as well. And that will that will sustain them as as things start to uh, get a little bit hairy. And, um, you know, when 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 students or when staff start to, you know, hit some bumps along the road. Yeah. And I know that, uh, I mean, I have faith in Ontario teachers uh, on taking on a challenge like this, because I think it will be a challenge for some teachers. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wonder even if, if, if it should have been rebranded, uh, instead of being called de-streaming. Yeah, I know. Right. I know. I, I run into people that have that same sort of thinking, right. That it, it, it invokes, emotions, right? That D word, because it, they, people remember what de-streaming looked like in the 90s. And uh, yeah, this idea of rebranding, I don't know. I, 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 you know, I, 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 it sounds like the tenor of the discourse around de-streaming seems different. Like I wasn't, you know, I was a student back in the 90s. I'm dating myself a little. But then, you know, I'm hearing a lot of uh, links between what this is and, and tackling systemic racism. And I think that more teachers now, like more people in general, have this more like better baseline idea of what like systemic oppression looks like in institutions like education. So there's there's a there's a a different conversation that's happening now than what probably took place 30 years ago. So I, I hear you. I, and, and I, it, yeah, sometimes I'm like, Ooh, that, you know, de-streaming sometimes kind of hits people the wrong way. Um, but, uh, you know, hopefully people overcome that visceral reaction. Well, and I think, um, and you kind of alluded to it, there were a lot of teachers at that time that kind of just said, Oh, well, this isn't going to last. Uh, so I'm not going to really take it too seriously. I personally, when I started teaching that, that is when de-streaming had just started. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it certainly, I don't, I I'm, and I and I I can't recall I don't recall but I don't think the the impetus was uh, you know the the same as it is now yeah but um but I personally I liked it uh, I I I uh, it, I had a de-streamed math science and technology class for two periods in the morning and, and it was I loved it I loved having that that freedom and the, the diversity of students in my classes mm-hmm. and you know was disappointed when. Well, it went away, but you know, uh, like I said, I think Ontario teachers—they, they'll, you know, this is what the curriculum says. This is what we're going to be doing, and I, I'm wondering if if you might have some some really like a, some quick advice for the reluctant teacher who now has you know one or two D stream grade nine math sections coming September. I would say make sure that you're communicating and collaborating with other people because if you're unsure about what you're doing, the the toughest spot is uh, feeling like you're doing it all alone. And when we can either divvy up the workload or have ideas to bounce off uh, a, a knowledgeable colleague, and like I think that helps to reassure a teacher that they're on the right track because there's a lot of like, oh, you know, should I have done this? Should I have done that? You know, a lot of hesitancy, which then leads to people kind of going back into their comfort zone. And if your comfort zone is something like teaching at the front of the, you know, the classroom and and just kind of giving information, then it's not going to end particularly well, or at least it most likely will not. So I think when we have strength in numbers and we're able to build our own like efficacy back, because when you're, when you're trying something new, like I know that when people are looking at this new curriculum and seeing different things, that there's some 
I don't know, like, what does this look like? What does that look like? I'm not sure what this means. Um, and if we can help to reassure one another that we're on the right track, I think it helps to build our confidence and, and allows us to keep moving. So if you're unsure, and I think a lot of people are, and rightfully so, to just make sure that you have other people that you can turn to and talk with and learn um, alongside, because I think this is a process, you know, no one's going to get this right the first time uh, through. And, you know, we really need to do uh, a lot more uh, communicating when when we're planning. And the other thing is really to embrace the idea of inclusion, which means looking at differentiating instruction and and and, and developing um, spaces where are where, where they're you know, they're universally designed uh, to provide access and and really to listen and learn with your students. And I think if you respond based on what they're giving you in terms of feedback, uh, you know, I, I think that your planning ahead is going to just be responsive and, and, um, and timely for them. So, you know, work with others, listen to your students, you know, plan with inclusion and accessibility in mind. Those, are, those would be the, my biggest takeaways uh, that I hope people get. Yeah, I definitely agree. You know, having some sort of professional learning network, a group of teachers that you just can, uh, you can just, you know, bounce ideas off of, that is so important. Um, and even if you're, if you're in a small school, you know, there, there's, there are online communities, you know, I think the, the, the Twitter community is great mm-hmm. for math. I know you talk a lot about that, right? That I think it's so, it's so, it's so key, right? That you're learning little bits, you know, you don't have to, you know, be on that app the whole time, but, you know, following a few people and getting those key ideas is, you know, could really move you forward. Yeah. And, and I, I think that, you know, Twitter has been a really great source of information for me and Mm -hmm. conversation. And I, I'm so grateful for that community because it, it, it spans borders, right? Like it just, it, it's, uh, it's amazing the connections you can make and the ideas that you get uh, from people next to you and people who like you've never met before. Right. Okay. Well, thanks for talking to us today. You are going to be doing our, uh, first webinar this season, uh, on the de-streaming math equity practice and politics. And we are looking forward to hearing that that's at the first, this, sorry, the second Wednesday of this month. So Jason, thank you for talking to us today. No problem. Thanks for having me, David. That was Jason Toe giving us a preview of his de-streaming webinar, which will be happening at 8 p.m. on September 8th. This webinar is open to anyone interested, and you can register on our MCIS website. See the link in the podcast description. And to get you ready, we're also going to put a link to Jason's video on the history of streaming in Ontario. So check that out. Don't forget that in a few weeks, we'll be having our first companion podcast to the new Coding in the Classroom column in the OME Gazette. Hosts Ian Brody and Beza Caesar will be interviewing teacher Pekka Rainio. And next month, for our second regular episode, we will be previewing Lisa Ann Floyd's session on the ideas and inspiration for JI support for the coding expectations. So stay tuned for that. And to check out the rest of this year's lineup, go to our website, talks.oime.on.ca. But in the meantime, stay safe, and we'll be back next month.